My name is Owen Flynn and you're listening to Trail Running Ireland, episode 3. You're very welcome everybody to this week's episode of Trail Running Ireland and a big thank you indeed to the over 600 listeners who have downloaded the first few episodes. If anybody's in need of a bit of a pick-me-up at the moment, tune in later on where we talk to a classy athlete. We talk to one of Ireland's greatest ever mountain runners, Sarah McCormack, an athlete who won the World Cup trophy, one of the world's most prestigious mountain running competitions. We also talk about the racing calendar scheduled for autumn and how now is the perfect time to get in shape and be stronger than ever for when racing resumes in August and September. Everybody, get your running gear on. Let's go. Delighted to be here once again, everybody. You're very welcome. And a big hello to any new listeners tuning in for the first time to Trail Running Ireland, the podcast. Before we kick off today's show, once again, a special thank you to our show sponsor, Eco Trail Wicklow. Without their support, this would not be possible. Eco Trail Wicklow is scheduled for September 26, 2020, and the show very much has a green light. Indeed, this week I've been doing some work with the Eco Trail Wicklow team regarding new race programs protocols that will need to be implemented given the current environment that we're all in. The EcoTrail Wicklow team, they're also working with the EcoTrail International team in Paris and um, putting together documentation, new safety procedures that will need to be implemented come September. We're also looking at race protocols that are coming out of Spain as well. Spain are very much on the case in terms of what safety requirements might be needed for trail running races. So we're very confident that the race will go ahead and really, really looking forward to hopefully a blue sky and lots of runners um, in Bray come September 26th for our 18k, 29k, 45k or 80k in the Eco Trail Wicklow. And talking to races, let's go and talk to our man on the ground, Irish international mountain runner Rory Long. Let's dial him in. Rory, very welcome to the show. How's everything going? Owen, how are you? Great to hear from you. How's the training going, Rory? Still training away okay? Can't complain. You know, getting out, we've now the extension to the 5k uh, limit from home means it's, I'm actually really lucky that I can actually get up onto some trails again, which has been amazing. Uh, and that's been such a boost for me. Uh, and yourself, you're getting out again, I hear? Yeah, well, it, it was like being um, released from prison there about 10 days ago, Rory, where after seven weeks of not being outside at all, um, we were finally let outside. We could run any distance that we wanted, any amount of time that we wanted, um, but just within our city boundaries. And we have to be back before 10 o'clock every morning. So what happens regularly is at about two minutes to 10 o'clock, I'm sprinting down my main road um, to ensure that I don't get a fine from the local police and my 600 euro fine in the post. So apart from that, um, it's going well. It's great to be back out training. You know yourself, you just have to be a little bit careful. You've been seven weeks without impact. Um, seven weeks without running on the trails so the, the mind is willing and the cardio the lungs are willing the, the legs are complaining a little bit 
So just need to just keep it steady. Keep it steady for a little while. Yeah, just got to take it easy. You know, competitions aren't again for a while, so we've got plenty of time, which is nice. Absolutely. Well, speaking of competitions, Rory, what's the news over the last two weeks since our last episode? Yeah, so I thought I'd, I'd try and balance that there's obviously some bad news uh, with some good news. Um, I just might as well start with the bad news. And the bad news is that, unfortunately, in terms of hill running here, um, the Emirate Committee have decided that all events are cancelled until after the 10th of August. Um, and this decision has stirred up some questions online about certain events, perhaps, you know, being exceptions. There have been talks about the Reef skyline. Maybe they're trying to reorganise it. And um, I know that there's some other races that they've tried to move the dates around. So I might just recommend that everybody who had their eyes on a specific race would just keep their... Um, that up to date with the website and also actually the forum is probably the best place right now for live information from race directors. Okay, well at least there, there's good confirmation and um, that doubt is gone because I think there's nothing worse for a runner, for an athlete than oh, will the race go ahead, will it not go ahead and once you remove that bit of doubt it removes the stress as well and you can just kind of relax into your training um, until that date comes along for the, for the new race. Well, that, that's good to hear and, and I know the, the Emirate calendar and the forum is very good for information like that. Yeah, I just would say like it's, it's a really hard, thankless work for the committee members so I'd say it's definitely a good time to Remember that they're all just volunteers who's just doing their best and uh, all the race directors as well. So hopefully all the best for them when things get running again. Sure, sure. Uh, anything else going on, Rory? Yeah, so I actually would have plenty of good news, which is great. So obviously from Monday the 18th of May here in Ireland, we can meet in groups of four outdoors. So it's a perfect time to get some small groups training together again, which is really nice. I've got a session planned for next Tuesday with uh, two or three friends. That's going to be really good for my mental health. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's such a benefit to train in the group, isn't it? And I, I'm sure we're all sick of each other's own company for the last kind of couple of months. So to be able to meet up with your running friends, that's great news. Yeah, I mean, kind of in the same train then is also just a thought that we a few of us have been having about starting some time trials, you know, in terms of I'm sure most local communities would have the local trail, the local pitch, the local hill, the local staircase, and maybe using Strava or Garmin Connect or Sunto or something similar, you can start a kind of a virtual competition maybe every week or something like that. So just we have a few more opportunities now to get out more and get out uh, to with a few more people and maybe just do some new and different things. Yeah, well, I know doing hill sprints, for example, at the end um, of a training session are absolutely fantastic for recruiting those fast twitch fiber muscles that you need as you get towards the end of a race and you're looking for that sprint finish as you're getting to the to the finish line so if you can get to a local hill or whatever um, it's a great idea yeah i'm sure uh, i'm sure rene has been uh, talking a lot about that as well but um yeah. plenty of opportunities to try some new things in your training as well of course okay and i saw something very interesting in the orienteering world rory as well Yes, yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm a very big uh, keen orienteer, so maybe it's a shameless plug, but we've been really lucky that orienteering has been given the go-ahead by Sport Ireland to start again from the 18th of May, as long as all social distancing rules are, are upheld, and of course uh, the competition takes place within five kilometres of home. So orienteering, for people who don't know, is a sport which involves using a map to navigate between from point to point, and um, so it's kind of a, a mixture of like trail running, hill running, and treasure hunting, let's say, navigation. Um, and I thought that it's uh, orienteering events are suitable for all ages and abilities, so it's actually something you could also do with the family, which is great. 
And it also might be interest to some trail and mountain runners who have been interested in a wild upping their navigation skills, maybe for some of the more technical races, some of the longer races, and maybe even an eye at the Wicklow round or one of the more cool challenges later on next year, perhaps. So just something to keep in mind, all the information is available online on orienteering.ie. And hopefully it might even make you see your local park, your local forest, your local little bit of, uh, of open land, you know, a little bit more differently instead of just running on the same trails every time. Sure. Well, and I know as well that orienteering, it's, it's a super sport for, for de- developing your, your, your running capacity as well. I mean, even on the Irish mountain running team over the last couple of years, I think we've had two orienteers on the team. So if you're looking for a good, solid running, trail running workout, it's a great opportunity and uh, something that, you know, I, I would definitely take up if you're within the, the 5K limit where we applies as well. Yes, of course, indeed. So ideally, the events would just be organized by people who are within 5k of, let's say, a park or a small forest or whatever. Um, And actually, they probably will start taking place all over the country as well, like not necessarily just in Dublin, but near Cork and other places as well that the community is around. And what's really nice is that the orienteering and hill running community have a big overlap. So you're actually probably going to see a lot of familiar faces in the future at events. And it's a nice community. So it's great. Okay, okay, super, Rory. No, thanks a million for that. And for, um, in the international race news, Rory, it's kind of similar. Um, bad news as well as good news as well. The, the first one that I picked up was an interesting story about the Andorra Ultra Trail, which has been quite popular in the Spanish-French re- region um, over the last couple of years. Um, they've attracted an awful lot of international runners there. They've been on the go since 2009, um, but they had to cancel the race this year for obvious reasons. Um, but they've actually decided to shut up shop altogether because of the backlash that they got from runners because they said that they couldn't um, afford to repay the race entry of over 70% of the people that had entered. They lost their sponsor and that combined with the uh, lack of support that they got from the trail running community. They said they were actually down, I think, €60,000 as a result of cancelling the race this year. They've decided just to shut up shop, and that's the end of the Andorra Ultra Trail race, which was quite popular uh, around mainland Europe. Um, over statesides, the Leadville Race Series, the Leadville 100, for the first time in 38 years, that has been cancelled. You know, bad news there. Some news from ITRA, Rory, was that ITRA have decided to reset their point system back to March 1st. Um, ITRA allocate points for everybody that finishes the big trail races. ITRA points, therefore, can get you access to big races like UTMB. It also gives international rankings as well. So they have reset their point system to March 1st. So any races after March 1st won't count in the current ITRA points ranking. Um, an interesting one from this part, from this neck of the, the, the world, Rory, was the Transvolcania, which happened last weekend. The race was cancelled, of course, because of, because of coronavirus, but they had over 3,000 virtual participants in their online race from 60 different countries around the world. And would you believe that they had, at one stage, 53,000 people tuning in to watch the virtual racing that was going on. I've said before, Rory, it's not my cup of tea, but obviously there's a big demand for the virtual races. That's incredible. What an amazing turnout. It just shows there's such an appetite, you know, amongst everybody for 
for normality for trail running and just for the community as well. So it's really fantastic to see. And also it's a dreadful pity to hear about what's happened there in Andorra and sort of the kind of big classic iconic races like Leadville. Uh, and hopefully, you know, hopefully there won't be any big knockoff effect. I hope, you know, for a lot of people who've put the training in for UTMB or even Western States or any of those big races, that hopefully they'll have some luck. Exactly. Well, it's been very quiet from UTMB, Rory, over the last 10 days or so. And um, there's a lot of Irish runners, and indeed around the world, um, waiting to hear the news. They're due to announce, I think, around the 22nd of May, whether they plan to go ahead this year or not. So fingers crossed they, they, they can do something. Um, but listen, Rory, thanks a million for the update again this week. Enjoy your orienteering race if you get to do one next weekend. Um, hopefully it will go well for you and enjoy the trails. Thanks so much, Owen. Talk to you soon. My name's Sarah McCormack. My name is Brian Fury. My name is Nicola Duncan. My name is Zach Hanna. My name is Mark Ryan. I'm a mountain runner. 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 Hi, my name is Harriet and I'm a mountain runner. You're listening to Trail Running Ireland. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. You've just heard the voices of the Irish mountain and trail running team. Athletes who have worked hard over the years to, to achieve their dream, putting on the green jersey, representing Ireland all over the Euro, all over Europe and indeed all over the world. And to help you guys, the listeners, achieve your dream, whether it's getting to the finish line of your very first race, whether it's getting a, a new PB in terms of position in a race or completing your first ultra, or why not pulling on a green jersey one day? Let's welcome in our resident running coach, trail running coach expert, Rene Borg from runningcoach.ie. Rene, how's it going? How are you, Owen? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. Good to hear, Rene. Well, Rene, we were talking to Rory earlier on, and Rory was just updating us on the racing calendar, saying that, for example, Imre have postponed all races until after the 10th of August. We're at the start of May now, so we've got, what, you know, roughly 15, 16 weeks before we can realistically get racing again. So from a training point of view, it might be a good a good moment to put a plan in place for those races in August, September, October. And um, from a coaching point of view, Rene, what advice would you give to the listeners in terms of beginning to put that plan in place? Yeah, so the first thing we wanted to do on this segment, Owen, was we wanted to help people draw up an outline of what that training would look like. So they're ready for the races, either, you know, whether it's mid-August or whether it's late September. Um, and what we wanted to do is take them on the full journey from the start of training to race day over, I think it's the next 11 podcasts. Um a beginning obviously with today's topic um, and really the the first message we wanted to deliver is that you know there's before when you sit down and think about what training plan you are going to put together for yourself there's no single training program that will deliver the same results for everybody and um, you know if you give the same plan to 10 different people you're going to get 10 different results but there are principles of training that if you understand those they'll allow you to make all the right choices for your unique situation um, and to get to those principles, like what I did personally own is I just looked through all of the, 
history I could find of the most successful coaches, everything they wrote about training, and I put all their principles into a grid and an Excel sheet. And then I sorted them to see where they actually saying the same thing, but in a different way. And then by the end of that, I had a list in front of me. So when we go through this, you know, whenever you hear me spit out some one-liner, it's not me, my own personal wisdom from sitting here in the office. It comes from that list. It, so it sounds like, Rene, you've saved us all the time in terms of reading about 20 different training books from the world's best coaches. And it sounds like you have a summary version ready for us. Yeah, well, I wish it was only 20 books. But anyway, if you're, if you're hoping to race in early autumn, let's say, um, or actually it's going to be mid-autumn at this stage, this is the time really to start your general training if you haven't already. And basically the way to think about training is a bit like a game of ice hockey. So there are three periods. But the difference from ice hockey is that the rules change from each period to the next. So um, if you go through all these many different training books, you know, there's hundreds of names you could give these period. I like to just call it simple for people. Uh, so we have a general period first, and then we have a race practice period, and then we have the competitive period where the racing happens. And it's basically like three stages of building your house. So in the general period, you purchase all the materials you need to build it. In the race practice period, you put them all together into a house. And in the competition period, you get to live in the house. That means you can get to start use the fitness that you've built. I also like to tell people that the money you have available to build the house or to buy the materials is your talent and all the interest you've accrued in your life to date by living a good life, you know, eating the right things, getting enough sleep and so on. So I hope that kind of explains um, the, the basic process. Okay, so say for our listeners, Rene, that they've got the news that there's definitely going to be no races now until late August, September. But, you know, fingers crossed, there definitely will be races to look forward to then. Um, they've been running within their 2K and 5K limits over the last maybe, what, five or six weeks. Uh, would you recommend maybe taking a break now for maybe a week, maybe two weeks, active rest, so to speak, and then they start this general phase that you're talking about? It depends a bit on how long a race you have coming up. So, for instance, you know, we talk a bit about the Eco Trail races because they're obviously our show, the show sponsor. So this is end of September, but all of those races are 18 kilometers or longer. So that means you really, at this stage, you've only got 18 weeks left to prepare. So unless you have a massive base of fitness already, I wouldn't take the rest now. I would start slowly ramping up so I could get to the volume I need. Now, if you have a much shorter race, let's say you just want to do, you know, some kind of 8, 10 kilometers trail race in the middle of August, you could take a few easy weeks now where you do something we call assessing your capability, which is basically just seeing where you're at fitness-wise right now, which is something we're going into a little bit more detail about. But let's say you had to start um, right now for a race in either mid-August or at the end of September, like EcoTrail then you kind of need at least six to 12 weeks for what's called the general period because the things you have to purchase in the general period, let's say the delivery time for that is at least six to 10 weeks. So you can't be starting too late because you just will run out of time at the end. You won't have any time to do the specific training after you do the general, if that makes sense, Owen. Yeah, sure. Okay, so so we're, we're not worrying about resting. We, we've kept active over the last couple of weeks within our 2K and our 5K limit. We're starting now to build into this general phase. Um, what are we doing, Rene? Are we running easy every day? 
or are we you know are we running steady because we have that fitness accumulated from the last couple of months what should we be doing in this phase well so we'll, we'll as you know we'll delve into the general period a little bit more in the next one but a very quick answer to that is that if there was actually a spanish study so your neck of the woods quite recently owen which showed that the number one correlation with top performance in a race is your running volume you know that's by far the strongest and the second strongest is how much easy running you do and i know that sounds a bit counterintuitive sometimes you know why does easy running contribute uh, which obviously has to do with what the easy running does for the body and um, i don't want to go too deep into it here but that is the first thing is to sort out your consistency of running you know, consistently bank a volume that you can handle without feeling completely knocked over every morning when you wake up after your sessions. You know, that's the first priority because it doesn't really matter what you do if you don't do it consistently. You know, you could do anything at all, the best training sessions, but if it's not consistent, it's not going to deliver any results. Sure. And I've heard you say before, Remy, as well, that during this phase that you need to be able to feel at the end of this run um, or any run on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday, that you can do the same again tomorrow without any major ill effects. And that when you wake up the following day, that the body isn't limping, that it isn't, it doesn't have strains anywhere. And it, it's all about just being within a comfort zone within this phase. Yeah, that was something I learned from Arthur Lydiot, that as I said, there are different rules for each period. And one of the key rules for the general period is that you should be really consistent day to day. And what he meant was that most of the efforts, you should either be able to do the same run again the same day, or at least you should be able to do a similar effort the next day. And that would tell you then that you are training, as he called it, you're not straining, you're training well within yourself. And he thought that was the key to getting the consistency that you need in the first period of training. But as we'll see as this kind of podcast series unfolds, Owen, those rules change when we get to the to the race practice periods. But I think we should leave the, maybe the listeners in suspense around that until we sure, get Sure, sure. I, I maybe just one final question, Renny, that, you know, for, for, for all of us, me, me included, who don't have the patience to be running easy for six weeks, eight weeks, do we just have to bite the bullet and be strict and just, you know, run easy, keep our heart rate below 140, for example, make sure we're way off our race pace or our tempo run pace, walk up the hills as we're going up them. Do we have to be that strict? No, thankfully not. And I'll preempt another subject and part of the answer that Owen, which is that it's another thing Lydia said, which is it starts with enjoyment, which means that to really train well, you need to be able to train with max motivation. And that's because today what science has shown us is that how you psychologically feel about the sessions you do, how much you believe in them, how much you enjoy them, uh, the social side around them, that actually has a direct impact on the physiological response from your body. So if you hate your sessions, if you don't believe in them, if they bore you, you know, you feel disconnected from them, they actually don't give the same physiological response as if you thought, yes, this is the stuff, I really enjoy doing this. So the good news is in the old days, there was this perception that, oh, general training is just LSD, long, slow distance, you know, slogging it out day after day. 
But that's not what general training means. General training just means that it is very different from the race. And that is on both sides. It's both in terms of the slow side of your race and the fast side of your race. So you can really spice up a general period with many things like, you know, very short and fast strides. You can do fart legs where you choose when to change the pace, but you run well within yourself. You know, you're not flogging yourself, but you're playing with the speed. You can do hill sprints, which is something that builds, you know, basic power and strength. You know, so it's not race specific, you know, 10 seconds very fast. You're not going to be using that a lot in many races, but you can do all of these things early in training. But Really, in the next call, what we can do is we can delve into how do you choose because there's so much on the menu, even in the general period. So how do you figure out what am I missing? You know, what do, what should be my priority? Um, and also look to the main question, really, which is what is your destination with your race? You know, what do you want to do? Are you trying to run 80K in under 10 hours or are you just trying to complete your very first 10K trail race? You know, based on that destination... And then your current location, which is, what do I need right now? You have the two sides of the journey, and then you can construct the training plan, which is the journey itself. And I think that's what we kind of want to do with this little series. We want to teach you all the principles you need to do that for yourself. And if that sounds like an awful lot of work, uh, we had a chat and I said, I've promised to put together a webinar uh, which I will make free so that people can join and kind of get taken through the nitty-gritty details of doing that uh, if they have been listening to this podcast and thought, actually, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to go another level down in what he's talking about. It sounds great, René, and, and we'll, we'll get all that information out to the listeners where they can find those details because it's so important. Uh, and while there's been a lot of negativity around race cancellations and people not being able to train together over the last couple of weeks, if we are strong enough to have the patience and train wisely in this general phase for the next couple of weeks and then progress our training as you're going to outline to us, we could arrive to our races in August, September, October, maybe even fitter than we have been in a long time, which is something really exciting. And um, I'd be very interested myself, Rennie, and and I might even be your your guinea pig for you because I was saying to Rory earlier on in the podcast that I couldn't run for seven weeks here in Spain. And 10 days ago, I was allowed to run again. But of course, for seven weeks, I had no impact on the legs apart from some cycling, um, which is practically nothing, you know. It's just good for keeping the legs and the heart ticking over, but that was it. So last week I went out running for the first time. You know, my brain is so happy, so excited. I really want to run fast. I really want to run long. My cardio strength was kept relatively strong because of all the bike work. But within three or four days, my chassis was beginning to give out and say, yeah, you might have kept up the cycling. Your brain, my brain might be telling me, yeah, this is great. I'm so happy running again. But my, my muscles, my, my, my body, the chassis, as I said, it, it was giving out. Little niggles were appearing. And it just made, made me realize that, yes, I need to be very strict with my general phase so I don't get injured and that I, get, and that I arrive in August, September, October in good shape. Exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and I would be very happy to help Owen. And I think it's it's probably a topic that a few people listening here are interested in because I don't know, obviously, but how many in Ireland had a reduction in their running volume. Not as many as in Spain. 
because of the way the restrictions were. But I'm sure there are some. And it is tricky, as you say, when you come back. It's down to this whole thing of assessing your capabilities before you go on the road um, on your journey. Because as you can see, in your case, you have in a way, you have realized this very early on through self-assessment that uh, you say your physiological fitness is still fantastic, but the mechanical engine is not exactly where it should be. So that's really the priority because that's that's the limiter as you go into the general training now. Yeah, and I know certainly some of the advice that you gave back in episode, I think it was one and two regarding looking after the fundamentals such as trying to reduce stress as much as we can, getting good sleep in, good nutrition in. So rather than going straight to the ice baths or straight to the um, massage devices that we might have at home and for the self-massages, that to get all those fundamentals right first and that will help maybe remove any little niggles out there. Well, well, listen, Rennie, that, that's been a fascinating talk and we look forward to um, taking deeper dives. I know you're going to post some things on runningcoach.ie. You've also got the Educated Runner um, podcast as well, which is always full of fascinating information. So we look forward to hearing it all, Rennie, and we look forward to the next podcast, episode four, where we're going to continue this journey to help myself, by the sounds of it, and our listeners get in peak condition for maybe a September um, race. My pleasure, Owen. Talk to you soon. Okay, talk to you soon, Manny. Bye-bye. Time for our feature interview in episode 3. In episode 1 we had the legend of trail and ultra running in Ireland, Ian Keat. In episode 2 we had a double world champion and UTMB TTS winner Pablo Villa. But now in episode 3 it's time for the first lady of Irish mountain running. She has been the best athlete on the mountains, male or female, over the last 10 years. She is a classy athlete on the mountains and off the mountains. It's Sarah McCormick. Sarah has three different passports but we're lucky enough to have her running for Ireland and she has done so on at least 20 occasions. She's got a European cross country medal, she's got a world championship mountain running team medal and she's been in the top 10 individually on two occasions in the world championships. She's topped off a wonderful 10 years running with the World Cup trophy win from the World Mountain Running Association in 2019. So let's find out more, let's dial in. The wonderful, the fantastic Sarah McCormick. Sarah McCormick, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Listen, Sarah, great to have you on. And Sarah, to, to start off with, um, the big news last year, of course, your, your big result was winning the World Mountain Running Association's World Cup trophy. A competition that's 20 years old, full of prestige, a competition that was around long before sky running, ultra trail world tours, Spartan mountain running, race series, full of tradition. And, and it was absolutely a great win. Um, I presume that you were training really hard over the winter time to defend that trophy. But yet, here we are now where maybe you're not too sure whether you'll get a chance to defend it or not. So uh, how, are you, how are you dealing with that at the moment? Um, to be honest, uh, I have to say it's been a bit of a relief just because I, I was really looking forward to and hoping that we'd have another World Cup to go for this year. But um, 
right at the start of February, I went over my ankle during a race and it just has kind of caused a lot of knock-on problems. And I, I actually went over it a second time. So I'm just still trying to get everything back together again, um, training wise. And okay. it's going a lot better, but to be honest, not having the pressure of races has been kind of a blessing in disguise, I suppose. How many more weeks, Sarah, do you think that you'll need before you're back up to training hard? Because I know Jonathan Wyatt, I think, is making an announcement at the end of May regarding the World Mental Running Championships, the, the yeah. World Cup trophy. So will you have time, do you think, to get back in good shape and all going well, we get the race again? I think so. Like, actually, my volume right now is all right. Um, so it's only really just bringing the sessions back in and... And I think as well, possibly just have, being forced to really have an off season because of where we live, there's just so many races year round. You can really kind of not have a rest if you're that way inclined. And, and you know, there's such a social thing as well that it's quite easy to just race year round. So, so um, I think it's been good to have a bit of a rest and I'm definitely starting to feel like I'd love to do have some kind of tough challenges um, in the near future. Yeah, because I mean, I think the, the winter was going very well for you by the looks of it, because I know you had a very good win in the Montserrat Sky Race back in February. Was that just yes. before you went over the ankle? That was when I went over the ankle. Oh. That was the uh, race that did it. But luckily, I was very near the finish when I did. Um, so I literally, I only had about 500 meters to kind of hobble in. And you know, when you've got the adrenaline going during a race as well, you can kind of get through before the inflammation starts to really kick in. So that okay. um, that was when it happened. And, and I kind of knew I was going to have a few weeks where I'd have to be very, very careful, but it sort of dragged on a bit, you know, when, when one thing just leads to another issue and that sort of thing. Um, but it was a great race. I, I definitely go back and do it again, regardless. It's a, it was a really cool race. So, um, yeah, and and those kind of injuries, they're sort of um, you come to it almost not expect them in mountain running, but it is part of the sport you have to kind of watch out for. So I think it's something that a lot of people encounter at some point in time. Okay, well, well, fingers crossed the timing works out well for you. And sure, let's go back maybe nine months or so, Sarah, to the uh, to the World Cup trophy win. Um, it, it's a very hard competition to compete and win in because in case people aren't aware of how it exactly works, your best six races over the course of the season are counted and you get points for a win, points for second and third, all the way back to maybe 20th position, I think. Um, you obviously targeted the World Cup trophy. Um, why did you decide to target there and then how did you construct your season around it last summer? Because you had to travel to France, Austria, Snowden on home turf nearly, Switzerland, Italy, Slovenia, and the only one you missed out on was the race in the US. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the great challenges of mountain running um, is that you you do have to try and be a jack of all trades or at least um, try and try and work to your advantages over different distances. And um, and so I think more than focusing on one race in particular in my training, I just tried to focus on my weaknesses. Um, and in particular, like steep climbing uh, and just, yeah, I suppose just develop my, my base fitness to the best level I could. And, and on top of that, work on my steep climbing 
Um, and after that, I think the races really are just what get you fit. If you can, I didn't really train a lot in the in the intervening time between races in terms of hard sessions. If I was racing every weekend, I'd just let the races races be my training stimulus really and, and work it that way. Well, I know you came, I think, was it third in 2018? So yeah. that, that probably gave you great confidence to go on and maybe try and go for the win last year. Yeah, I mean, I definitely wasn't going into it necessarily aiming for the win. Um, and I think my my record in the um, in the World Cup kind of reflects that. I think I think I came second in those races three times. I came fourth once um, and thirteenth at Sierra now. So I wasn't necessarily you know winning them outright. Um, but I think with with a series that started in May and ended in October, it was as much of a kind of survival thing. Um, you know, get through with some decent performances, but stay in one piece as well. Um, so I think in in the case of last year, I mean, I'm really happy with how I ran, but it was definitely as much of a um, a case of of getting through the races um, in one piece, and and you know, other people potentially stronger runners kind of ended up missing a race or two because of injury. Um, so it was yeah, as much about about keeping fit and healthy as anything. And did you have any specific strategies there around, say, the travel element to it? Because every month you would have been on planes traveling to, to France, to Austria, to Zierra Zenal, Italy, to Smarta in Slovenia. Um, and then, of course, you would have been competing for the Irish team in the European Championships. And then in, in Argentina, of course, in November. Um, how did you manage all the travel? Because I know traveling can really take it out of you. Yeah, um, I've definitely noticed in the past, like with the um, international flights, uh, sorry, the kind of transatlantic flights and that sort of thing that um, you can get so dehydrated without really noticing it. And you kind of don't realize till you start your race and and don't feel like yourself at all. Um, I mean, the the trips for this series weren't as long. I did consider quite um, seriously going to California. Um, but it would have been only a week after, less than a week after Paul finished his Wainwrights. And I, th- I thought between the sleep deprivation of that and then trying to get to California, um, I probably wouldn't have done the race any justice. Uh, so I and I was quite glad in the end I didn't do that one. But the um, just because I, I know I wouldn't have raced while I, I was knackered. Um, sure. But I think, yeah, with the shorter distance flights, just got there a couple of days before the race and just try and enjoy you know, seeing the scenery and maybe get out on a bit of the course and that sort of thing, but mostly just taking it easy and drinking lots. Yeah, I mean, they, they tend to be in beautiful parts of Europe, don't they? Like great scenery and beautiful mountains. And there's always a wonderful atmosphere around these mountain races as well. Um, well I presume maybe the two highlights there might have been, of course, the race win in Snowdon. And then yeah. the, the final race, of course, as well, with the, with the great battle against the Kenyan runner. Um, yeah. Maybe tell us about Snowden first. What was it like to, to win again there? A great feeling, <laughs> I'm sure. It was, yeah, because I, I knew going into it that the field was so much stronger than the previous two times that I'd won there. And, um, and I just, I knew for my own sake that I had to go into it with an open mind because I think if you go into a race like that thinking I have to win I have to win and things go a certain direction then you can just get too negative um whereas I was just going into it thinking 
well, she's amazing and she's amazing and she's amazing. And if they're ahead of me, I'm not going to beat myself up about it because I know they're amazing. So yeah. I think it was just staying positive like that. Like Hattie Archer got a good, a good lead on me um, in the start of the climb. And, and I know that she's just such a quality runner. And I think I found that in the past, if you, if you start beating yourself up about being, being in a certain position, you can, you can kind of mess up your own race. Whereas just, just letting someone do their thing and you do your thing um, and just trying to kind of focus on how you feel um, can definitely help you stay positive. So um, yeah, I think maybe in the past other times I haven't necessarily um, controlled my nerves as well as I, as I did for that Snowden race and, and things just seem to come together. Sure, but experience, I'm sure, told a lot as well. And, and I know there's always a good, strong Irish team there as well. And um, I'm sure there was a good party that night. Yeah, yeah, there was. Yeah, no, I mean, it was great because there's Irish team and then the Scots and the English. And um, and uh, there's a restaurant in or a cafe in Lambert called Pete's Eats. And I remember showing up there the day before the race. And, and I think that there was at least three teams in there, if not four. And, and just from going to various races, you get to know everyone. And, and um, it's just really great walking into a cafe and kind of already already knowing all the everyone on all the teams because compared yeah. to, say, 10 years ago when, um, when I just started mountain running and didn't know anyone and it was all quite intimidating. Um, yeah, it was a really friendly atmosphere and just a you know, really good party afterwards as well. Sure. And then the, the skip on to the final race, Sarah. Um, tell us about that. When you were crowned World Cup trophy winner, you had an incredible battle against the, the Kenyan athlete Lucy Wambi Morigi, who I know I think finished two minutes ahead in the first race, but you got her back to within a minute on the final race. And then, you know, you had a tremendous race against the rest of the field as well. Um, tell us about the feeling maybe over the last kilometre or two of that race, knowing that you had won the, won the championship. Um, was it a sense of joy, elation or relief? Because you often hear elite sports stars talking about when they do get to that final finish line, whether it's running or any other sport, sometimes it's just a, a release of the pressure to get the win or was it just simply joy and, and happiness um, getting, the, getting the victory? Yeah, I, I think that race for me was kind of one of those where um, you sort of, it was a confidence boost, I suppose, because um, that particular course is two ascents of the same hill, but only one descent. So it was an up, down, up, basically, and you finish at the top. And um, and Lucy flew off on the first climb as she always does, and um, and I was coming down the main descent, um, and just as we were getting to the bottom, I saw Lucy, and and I pulled her back in on the descent, and you know I hadn't really been thinking about her so much as I was thinking about holding off a girl, who was on my shoulder on the climb, um, and I was just trying to descend as hard as possible, and then realised I'd caught Lucy, and we were running shoulder to shoulder, um, as we headed into the second climb, and for me that was just like kind of the realization that I need to stop thinking of her as being, I mean, she's an amazing runner, like world champion, everything. But I think, you know, you have to stop thinking of people as being head and shoulders ahead of you, or you're never going to kind of challenge them, are you? So I think that that race for me was kind of the realization that, you know, I can be running with Lucy and I, and I can be giving her a bit of a challenge and, and something to take forward to, to this year possibly. 
Yeah. And would you like to try and obviously defend your title if you can? But is it something that you see yourself focusing on over the next three or four years, Sarah? And for example, I know the, the legendary mountain runner Andrea Meyer won it four times. Is that something you'd like to try and aim for? Or do you see yourself maybe moving up in distances like a lot of, say, road runners do? They, they start off their, their careers on 10Ks, 5Ks, and then they move into marathons. What are you thinking of yourself for the next couple of years? To stay in the, the 10K, the 20K range on the mountains or to step it up and go ultra? I mean, I'd love to go a bit longer. Um, my my hope this year was to try and do enough races to count in the Golden Trail as well as the, the World Mountain Running because Sierra Zanal is in both series already. So you'd actually only have to do two or three more of the Golden Trail to count. Um, so I think, yeah, I went into this year thinking, oh, well, I'll see what the World Mountain Running, the World uh, Mount Running Cup kind of comes up with in terms of races and the thing is they always just come up with this amazing lineup of races so it'd be quite hard to um to kind of leave that off um but I I am interested in in doing some longer distances as well so I think you know in a normal year um if there if there were a normal racing season on next year I'd probably end up trying to do a bit of Golden Trail but also um, staying with the World Cup as well just because it's it's really hard to miss once you've started doing it um, it's just a really good series Sure, and something like a UTMB Sarah, could you ever see yourself trying to tackle that? Um, I know I work at it and you know, like yourself I love my short mountain races but I just don't ever see myself actually doing the, the 460k UTMB um, what, what about yourself? Is it something that interests you at all? I, I'm definitely interested in like Mont Blanc Marathon or OCC. Um, I'd be, I'd, I really like that kind of style of running around that they have around um, like Chamonix. The trails are really cool. Um, and to, to be honest, <laughs> I don't know if I'd manage UTMB, but strangely, um, my partner, Paul, he's done Tour de Giants a couple of times. And somehow that seems less intimidating to me because it's much more of like a, a really hard hike now I know the winners like I've seen them trotting along and I don't know how they do it but something like a multi-day race um like Tour de Giants where you can where you can do a lot of hiking um seems somehow more more feasible in the future um than than something like UTMB where you're really still kind of having to try and keep up a run for 100 miles Sure, sure. So I, I think I, I get the impression that we're going to see you running for certainly the next 10 years, maybe even out to 15 and 20. You can tell by your voice there that you just have a love for, for running. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you won't want me saying to the listeners that you're in your early 30s now, but absolutely no talk of any retirement or anything like that. Not for a long, long time, but it sounds of it. No, no. I, yeah, I think there's there's just too much there's so much to choose from. There's so much still to do. I've never actually finished a um, living here in the UK. Never finished a series of of the British or the English fell running championships, just because there's so much to pick from. And and one year I'd love to kind of focus on that as well. Um, so yeah, I still feel like there's there's loads left I want to do. Sure. And listen, if we if we don't make the Irish mountain running team anymore, there's plenty of vets teams that we can go for as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, but but Sarah, that that win there last year, that great win, it, it's probably been about twenty years in, in the making. So can we go back in time and can you tell us where that love for running and then later on mountain running came from? Um, yeah, well, I guess my first um, kind of awareness of of mountain running was through my mum's side of the family. Um, my mum's from the Lake District in the north of England um, and we always spent a lot of time here on summer holidays and that sort of thing and and she she was a fellow walker and my granddad was a fellow walker and um, and that's what we would spend our holidays doing um, but she would always tell you know she, she got me into running as well um, and she would kind of always hint at she thought she thought I would um, I would like to be a fell runner you know we lived somewhere flat at the time um, but she was always saying, oh, you should try and do Bob Graham one day and this kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, it was through, through my mum's connections um, with the Lake District, I think, that kind of put it into my head that it was something I wanted to do. Um, but growing up, I did more track and cross country. OK. And, and I know you competed for the Michigan State University in yeah. Division One of the yeah. NCAA. I, I mean, that must have given you a fantastic base for all the future success that we've seen over the last 10 years. Yeah, I think it was a really good start um, and I was quite lucky. I just, I didn't have a scholarship or anything. I was already at Michigan State and I joined the team as a walk-on. Um, and so I was never anywhere near, you know, the top girls on the team or anything like that. Um, but it, I learned so much from being on that team and, and there, there's so much money that goes into American college sports they, they just had the best of everything so it was it was a really great development experience um, and I, I was really lucky to have it. Sure and is there any of the the training that you would have used back then that you still apply now I don't know maybe mileage any plyometrics anything at all that you would have learned back then? Um, I think Definitely a lot of the stuff that we learned strength training wise has stuck with me. Like we had a, a team strength trainer. Um, and I think just having that confidence to go to go into a gym, because uh, that's not something that I would naturally, I, I wouldn't have naturally had it before then. And, and my gym routine now is a big part of my, my training when the gym's open. Um, so I think that's definitely something where if I hadn't had that, that kind of um, structured introduction to weight training, then I probably wouldn't have really had an opportunity to get into that side of things so much. Okay, and it, it certainly sounded like a great, um, a great base in your training because you came out of that, and within a couple of years, you had ran fifteen forty nine on the road in 5k which i mean is good enough to win the majority of 5k road, road races all over ireland and the uk you made the irish european cross country team that got team gold with the likes of fanula britain at the time linda byrne lizzie lee olympians in their own right you were 36 in that race i mean a real top class elite road and cross country runner but I presume you came to a crossroads then, Sarah, when you maybe had to choose between going down the road scene and you could have gone on to have your pick of road race, road race wins over the, over the coming years after that, represent Ireland in cross country probably on a couple of occasions more at least. But I think you went towards the mountains. 
how did you make that choice? Yeah, it was hard. I think I'm one of those people like who <laughs> who tries to do a bit of everything sometimes and and I just kind of realized it wasn't really working for me because I'm not sort of someone who's naturally got a lot of strength endurance. Um I in mountain running my my relative strength would be the kind of speed side of things and if I did cross country all winter, I'd come into the spring and start trying to do some mountain races and, I, and I'd just hit a hill and go backwards through the field. Um, and I, I just got to the point where I knew I loved mountain running um, first and foremost, but I was trying to do both. And I just realized for me as a runner and the type of runner that I am, if I don't get in the hills all winter and get that strength base, then I'm not going to be as competitive. And I I just decided I need to, needed to specialise, really. Wow. I mean, an incredible, brave decision to make because, as I said, you would have been part of an Irish cross-country gold medal winning team. Um, what were your memories of that day when you did win did the team gold with the girls? I think my favourite memory was I'd crossed the finish line um, and none of us knew what the team scores were. And, you know, when at the point when I finished, I didn't know how anyone else had done. I think someone might have said that Fanula won, which was obviously just brilliant. I think she was the first woman ever to defend a European cross-country um, title. Um, so that was really nice to see. But I didn't know what the team score was. Um, and then some someone who I didn't know, I think he might have been, because um, it was in Hungary, um, and I think he might have just been an official, and he... All he did was tap me on the shoulder and point to this massive um, digital scoreboard. And and Ireland was at the top and I was like, what's he pointing at? Like, what are those numbers? And I, and then I thought, maybe those are scores. And I thought, well, they can't be scores because that would have mean we just won gold. And I looked at it for, for far longer <laughs> than anyone should have looked at it before I realized what he was saying. And the, the other girls didn't know yet either. So I just grabbed Ava Hutchinson and turned her towards the scoreboard and and we just all started screaming. It was just, it was really, really cool. And and to have Fanula, you know, win gold again on top of that, um, it was a really, really amazing experience. Ah, a brilliant memory by the sounds of it. Um, but I mentioned in the intro, Sarah, that you actually have, I think, three passports. Uh, America from your time growing up there, and um, a British passport from your mom, and then an Irish passport from your dad. Uh, how did you actually make that choice? To represent Ireland because I'm sure the, um, the, the Brits and the Americans would have been knocking on your door and you, you could have easily made um, their teams as well so uh, how come we're lucky enough to, to have you <laughs> running for us? Uh, no, I, I feel very lucky to be running for Ireland I think the, um, the, the sort of dynamic in the team is completely different you know when you go to these international races I've had it said to me by people from other teams, it seems like you guys, you know, get on really well and you have a really good time. And 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 I think that's down to um, the Irish management have done a really good job over the years. But um, I, when I first started um, doing fairly well in in mountain races, I was living in Scotland and um, and I had a Scottish coach and I, and I'd already been, you know, doing cross country and stuff over in Ireland and um, and Jerry Brady. Um, who was the manager at the time? He got in touch um, about possibly, you know, coming and doing the trial for the Irish Irish mountain running, and it wasn't something I'd really considered till he got in touch. Um, and and just when he said it, I was just I just thought that would be absolutely brilliant. 
to run for Ireland and um and my coach being Scottish he was like well you know if it's a choice between running for Ireland and running for England I'm going to point you towards Ireland um <laughs> but to be honest that the whole idea of it just immediately uh, it just appealed and you know over the years I've I've had a few people ask me also, so when are you going to, you know, swap over to running for, for GB or, you know, why do you run for, for Ireland and that kind of thing. And, um, and I just, I would, I've got so many long lasting friendships through running with Ireland and it means a lot to me. And I would, <laughs> I would just, I would never, ever consider running for anyone else. It's been absolutely brilliant and I'm, I'm really proud of it. Sure. And here we are, I think, is it 20 caps later, Sarah? I must be something like that by this stage. I think I started in 2011. Yeah. Well, I think Sonia O'Sullivan has 33. So I reckon if you can keep on the Irish mental running team for another five or six years, um, you're going to get close to Sonia O'Sullivan. And wouldn't that be some achievement? Some achievement? Um, and I know you, your dad must have been a very proud Irishman, Sarah. He, I know he was over in Argentina with us back in November. And I, I'm sure you must have made his day the, the first time that you put on an Irish singlet. Yeah, no, I think I think it really did, and he's um, yeah, he he's uh, he's definitely very proud of that. And uh, both his parents are now passed away, but my grandma lived to see me racing in an Irish festival. That was really nice as well. Ah, brilliant, super. And the the move to the mountains, it obviously paid off because within maybe a year to eighteen months of concentrating on the mountains, you were coming top ten in the world and um, sixth I think in 2013 and a bronze medal with the Irish mountain running team with Kate Cronin and Sarah Mulligan and then ninth in 2015 in Wales and um, that must have been a fantastic vindication of your choice to choose the mountains. Yeah definitely um, no I think it it has paid off um, to, to really focus on them and especially like in recent years um, they have a lot of VK events over in in Italy um, where I've been racing a lot. And that's really forced me to work on my kind of power and uphill strength, um, which I think has kind of transferred to the other um, mountain disciplines, like the kind of classic 15, 15 mile um, mountain race and and that sort of thing. Um, I've definitely, definitely seen an improvement across the board since I've kind of started really focusing on the on the um, mountain running. Yeah. And can, can you tell us the secret, Sarah? What, what exactly type, what type of training are, did you do and do you continue doing to help with that strength in power climbing? Um, and then on the flip side, um, you're, you're an excellent technical descender as well. Um, maybe could you give myself and the listeners um, any tips, any real training examples of things that you're doing? Um, well, I think one thing that I just kind of probably learned about myself later than I should have was that, you know, you really just need to look at what are you not so good at and, and really get comfortable training those things. Um, you know, for instance, you saying that I'm a good technical descender. Um, I, I think I've improved a lot because of train getting out in the fells on on terrain that I'm not very comfortable with there's still a lot of people around here in the Lake District who would say I'm not that good but um you know then I've gone to gone to Italy and and had people um compliment me on my descending so it's all kind of relative and and I think we all have strengths and weaknesses based on on what kind of terrain you're on but um 
definitely living in the Lake District has forced me to get out on some really rocky stuff and just start slowly getting better at it. So I think I think one thing that really helped me was, you know, you, you'll have people say, say it to you that you're not good at such and such a thing. Like I've had people say to me that I'm not good at technical descending. And, and as soon as you start to believe them, that sort of hinders how much you're going to going to progress. Um, and then I, I kind of one day just decided to kind of add up, okay, well, how long have I actually spent fell running, like in terms of hours? Um, and, I, and I added it all up and I, I reckoned it only came to like a thousand or fifteen hundred hours and I thought well how can I say whether I'm naturally good or not good at technical descending if I've only done that much of it um and I think I just decided well instead of instead of writing myself off as a as a bad descender I'm just gonna do as much of it as I can and then see you know what am I like at it so um definitely just just identifying things I'm not comfortable with and going out and doing them over and over even if it's just you know really easy pace just running down a hill getting used to foot placement that sort of thing and just letting letting that time accumulate um gradually until all of a sudden something that didn't feel very runnable um feels a lot easier sure and then on the uphill Sarah like is it just pretty much getting the hours in, getting the miles in, um, slowly, steadily running uphill, even walking uphill, power walking if needed? Or do you do many uphill sessions, like a typical kind of maybe 10 by two minutes hard, things like that, or even steady tempo runs all uphill? Yeah, I think one of the things that really improved my descending, sorry, ascending for me was um, when I swapped over from doing less of the short reps and more of the long sustained tempos. Um, because again that was just something for me that I needed to work on um, but another thing that I found really useful that a lot of people maybe don't tend to include in their training is the really short hill sprints um, to kind of recruit the fast twitch muscle fibers and just build on you know your maximum kind of power output um, and, and there was the um, uphill athlete book that came out last year that's been quite popular and they do a really good job of explaining um, the theory behind hill sprints and the, you know how to employ them in your training. But they're almost saying get out and do them every week because um, they really are the most specific kind of strength training as a hill runner that you could do. Um, I don't do them every week, but I do do them fairly often. And, and I found them really useful as well. OK, and um, we've mentioned lots of highs, Sarah, over the last 10 years. Has there been any setbacks or lows that you've had to deal with? For example, I remember I didn't see you racing much in 2016, 2017. Was there any long term injury issues there or anything? Um, I think 2016 was I kind of I think I'd had a not a very good European mountain running, which was in in July. Um, and I thought I'd, this was before I decided to really focus on mountain running and I thought I'd give cross country season a really good go. Um, but then I would say probably one of my lowest points was um, the year after the 2012 cross country when we won gold, um, I actually qualified for the Irish team again um, to go to the European cross. And about 10 days out from the Eurocross, I got injured. Um, and that was really awful because the the team management were really supportive. And they, it wasn't like categorically, I'm injured, I'm out. It was like a day-by-day -day process. And they were checking in and saying, how are you? How are you? And, um, you know, it was kind of, 
<laughs> it was kind of torturous in a way because it was just you know every morning I'd wake up and hope something would be better and it wasn't better and and um you know eventually just having to make that decision that I wasn't able to race um was really hard uh but I think it's something that we all go through at some stage if you if you're really aiming for a target race things just don't always come together and and it spurs you on the next time yeah, well, you, you've kept on coming back and back and had great success. And yeah, I said at the very start, Sarah, that you, you've been a great role model for mountain running in Ireland and indeed in the UK as well. Um, are you happy with the way that the sport is developing in terms of the numbers of female runners in the mountains? Because just before the interview, I was doing a bit of research just to see what the participation levels across different races are in terms of female running and it can be a mixed bag from anywhere from as low as 10 percent in some races up to 33 percent in other races like for example in the morris mullen ultra half last year which had 33 percent female runners which was great and um, as a benchmark maybe unfairly i was looking at the dublin marathon the road race which had 37 percent female participation and um, what are your thoughts on female participation on the trails and on the mountains? I mean, it definitely seems like it's increasing, but I think there's a lot more that can be done um, to encourage women out onto the trails in the sense that, like, I remember the first few years that I was going, fell running. At first, I didn't really go on my own, um, you know, partially because I didn't know where I was going. So I'd go with other people. But it took me it took me a couple of years to really feel comfortable being completely out on my own in the mountains because it just wasn't something that I'd grown up doing or anything like that. And and I've talked to a lot of other people, not just women, but quite a lot of women who, who feel the same. And, and it just, if you're not necessarily going out in the mountains loads as a kid, um, then it's it's not something you'd naturally necessarily feel comfortable with, just, just heading out into the hills on your own. Um, and I think there, there's definitely a lot more that, that we could do to kind of help um, people start to feel more more confident, um, kind of, yeah, just hitting the trails. Um, and I know, like, for instance, there's She Summits in Wicklow, um, and there's a, a couple other organisations, like in Scotland, doing similar things, just um, getting women out in groups um, to develop that confidence that where you could then go out on your own. Um, but there is an underrepresentation of women um, and I do think sometimes as well, the um, now prizes aren't everything and this might be contentious, but I do think that there there's issues with prize equality as well, where, um, you know, the point of a prize, a prize is there to to kind of acknowledge an achievement. Um, and if there's fewer prizes for women, I, I do think that 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 has a consequence um, for, you know, women in sport, because what if you as a woman come fifth in a race and and you get a prize that is it is an encouragement to kind of keep going and see where you can get to if they have prizes for the top 10 men and only the top three women then then there's less of that kind of encouragement and acknowledgement going around in my opinion yeah absolutely it would seem very bizarre and very unfair that in today's modern age that um the prize distribution isn't divided out evenly amongst races because as we've seen in seen in some races um 
oftentimes that girls can actually come in ahead of guys, especially as the distances increase in kilometers as well. And even in some of the shorter stuff as well. I think I remember reading that you won a mountain race outright one year and your teammate Kate Cronin did the same in Holt, I think, last season. So, I mean, it's potentially it's such um, a fantastic sport for for women and hopefully organizations um, sort out things like the prizes and, and do all that they can to encourage um, women mountain running, whether it's through training camps or um, specific coaches, you know, lots of areas there that um, we can help with. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, well Sarah, just to finish off um, the interview, um, all the racing that you do, uh, all the training that you do, life must be extremely busy for you because I know you have your own very successful training company with Paul, Missing Link Coaching. You're an Innovate brand ambassador. You work as an ecologist as well. Uh, I know you do lots of training camps with Emirate too. Uh, how do you manage to keep the energy levels up high and, and do everything so well? <laughs> um well, it seems it's felt a little bit easier since lockdown started, to be honest. Um, I definitely have noticed having a bit more time in the day and a bit uh, a bit more time to sort of get eight hours sleep. But um, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm, I do the best job of organizing my time. I, I do seem to be rushing quite a lot, um, usually. Uh, but I think it's just, you know, I really enjoy coaching um, and definitely have a passion for ecology. So... I suppose it's just, a, a, you know, liking what you do. You don't necessarily feel like you're you're working all the time or anything like that. Um, a lot of the coaching stuff is just really good fun. So you definitely don't come home thinking, oh, I've just done a 12-hour day or whatever. You just think, oh, that was a really good day out in the hills. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just about enjoying, enjoying things. And, and there's always, like, harder parts to, you know, it does definitely feel like work sometimes, but... Um, for the most part, I think, yeah, Paul and I both feel quite lucky to be doing what we do. Sure. Well, it sounds like you're in a nice, sweet spot in life. Um, COVID-19 aside, Sarah, and long may it continue. Um, our final question, Sarah, that we ask everybody that's on the show, um, what's your favourite place to train and run in? Um, I have quite a few of those. Uh, but one that I wanted to mention was um, I had a fantastic training holiday last year. Uh, no, two years ago in Macedonia. Um, and we went to the southwest near the border with Greece and Albania. And like, I kind of knew it was going to be nice, but that it's got to be one of my, my favorite ever trips. Um, the mountains were just, I think we saw one person all week when we were out running in the mountains. Um, we had a few adventures as well because the maps weren't so maybe weren't up to like OS standard and they, um, and a lot of the signposts were faded to the point that you couldn't read them anymore. Um, but it was such a gorgeous place. The food was amazing. The culture was amazing. And, and there's just, um, you know, 2000 meter hills everywhere and, and really pristine lakes and that kind of thing. So um, I, I'd really like to get back there again. Sure. And I, isn't that one of the benefits of certainly representing Ireland over the last 10 years that you get to go to countries like Macedonia, where I think there was a European championship. Yeah. And um, I know you've been in what Turkey and um, Poland, France, Italy, of course, as well. So it, it's a really great sport to be involved in, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I think that's what what drew me to the um, 
the World Cup was just that it's almost like a lineup that someone else has just prepared all these amazing, you know, race experiences for you. And all you have to do is sort of sign up and figure out how to get there. And, and it's just, it's invariably somewhere scenic and gorgeous and somewhere that you probably wouldn't have otherwise ended up. So um, it's, yeah, it's a really good sport to be involved in. Well, well, Sarah, it's been an absolute privilege to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for being on the show. It's not often that we have a mountain runner on the front page of Irish Runner, which you did last year in October and November in Dublin marathon season. So I, I reckon that's maybe one of your biggest achievements today <laughs> as well. Um, so Sarah, listen, all the best with the recovery from the ankle strain. And hopefully we get to see you defend that World Cup trophy this summer. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Owen. Lovely to chat to you. All the best, Sarah. Take care. Cheers. Bye. And that's a wrap for episode three of Trail Running Ireland. Thanks a million for tuning in again, everybody. And just of note was that after we did the interview with Sarah McCormick there earlier in the week, a couple of hours afterwards, Jonathan Wyatt, the president of the International Mountain Running Association, announced that the World Cup trophy was actually cancelled for 2020. So an awful shame that Sarah won't get to defend her trophy this year, but she'll be back stronger and hopefully better than ever in 2021. And in the meantime, with a bit of luck, she'll get to put on the green jersey of Ireland once again in the World Championships in the Mountain Running World Championships in Lanzarote in November everybody have a great week's training hopefully the legs are healthy are fresh there's no major little niggles there and if there is look after yourself take care we look forward to talking to you in episode 4 once again a big thank you to our show sponsor Eco Trail Wicklow check them out on Facebook Instagram and Twitter where there's lots of lovely photographs of some of those fantastic trails around Wicklow and some good banter as well on some of the posts have a great week's training everybody see you again next time get your running gear on let's go